That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. The return of Arsenal the Great and the return of Chelsea being shit again. Hold on, hold on one second. Are you taking hold of this podcast now that Arsenal won? No, that, we're not letting that happen. Uh, I'm Alex. We're back, baby. Let's go. <laughs> As you can hear, Javier is very excited. Uh, Arsenal got a 2-0 win over Chelsea at the Emirates. Liverpool came back from 1-0 down in a high-scoring encounter with Crystal Palace to win 4-3. Man United continued their solid run under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to win 2-1 at home to Brighton. Before Manchester City and Tottenham wrapped things up on Sunday with a win. I'm Alex, once again, here with Javier. Uh, a very happy Javier. A, uh, I'll say I'm a very disappointed Alex here on this podcast, but you know, the Look, show must go on. the first pod that I get to be like truly happy. I was pretty happy after the Spurs win, but I need to win one goal skull bowl this year. It's not fair if like you and Andrew just get all of them. Yeah, well, you know, that's the natural order of, order of things and uh, I, I, I'm a little too comfortable with it. So, you know, I'll, I guess I'll get used to this. Uh, hopefully not too, too easily, but we'll get to the Arsenal-Chelsea game a little bit later. We're going to start out with the first of two very high-scoring fixtures that happened on Saturday. Wolves hosted Leicester City, won 4-3 at the Molyneux. Goals from Diogo Jota in the fourth minute. Uh, Ryan Bennett scored to make it 2-0 Wolves in the 13th minute. Before Damari Gray and Connor Cody on goal made it 2-2 right around halftime. Jota scored again in the 64th minute before Wes Morgan tied it up in the 87th minute uh, off a set piece. And finally, Jota completed his hat trick in the 93rd minute to wrap up the points for Wolves and send Leicester reeling. Ah, I always knew. See, everything came to fruition in this pod. He was my young player of the season. I knew he would. Everything came to fruition. Everything. What about what about Fulham being in near the top six? Well, <laughs> they almost the beat Tottenham. My one-one almost <laughs> happened. Okay, like. <laughs> <laughs> it almost happened, but this was this. I actually woke up for this game, and this game was was a joy to watch. I thought that in the first half, Wolves were good, but Leicester were very unlucky to be down two 0 at the half. They hit the woodwork twice, and were playing pretty well. So it wasn't a surprise when the second half started. They continued that and got you know two two goals to to equalize. And then I was really impressed that Wolves just kind of calmed it all down and, you know, lulled Leicester into, uh, you know, kind of a defensive formation. And then they attacked and, and got, a, got a goal. And then it was the swung back the other way. Leicester were attacking. And this was just an absolutely great game. You thought that they had the equalizer in the 87th minute. And you thought, you know, what a great game. 3-3, honors even. And... Now, Wolves are they're the team to beat this year. So they're the they're the new spicy sensation and and they got the they got the winner. So what a game. What a game. Yeah, I was really impressed with that midfield three of Neves Dendonker and Jamatinho. Moutinho uh, is so good. Yeah. He's like thirty two, but like he never loses the ball, never makes the wrong decision, 
always like is looking to move the play forward, and it's it's I'm he's he's a great addition to the Premier League. I love watching him. Yeah, those all three of those players, Neves, uh, Leander Dendonker, and Jao Matinho, are all players who have played Champions League or Europa League games in the last like two to three seasons. They're and they're playing for a promoted side. The one thing I was thinking coming away from this game, and probably from their performances overall, especially against the top sides this season, is do we have a big seven incoming? Like are Wolves a couple of signings away from thinking to themselves, you know what, we're good enough to challenge for top four, and sort of launching themselves into that same conversation as the rest of the quote-unquote big six right now? Possibly purely because of the age of their team, but I don't see them being able to keep their players. I think if they get to the point where they're pushing for top four, so that would be like, that, like because like there's been teams in the past like Everton or Villa in the you know late early to or sorry mid mid to late two thousands where they'd get 67, 70 points maybe, and like I could see Wolves getting to that point, but as soon as they get to that point, their best players are going to get picked off by bigger teams. You know, if Yota becomes a superstar and starts scoring twenty goals. Someone bigger is going to come grab him. If if yeah. Ruben Neves is absolutely bossing it up in the midfield, you know Barcelona, Real, you know United City, someone's going to come in and try and get him. It's it's not going to be, you know, all all they're not going to be able to keep their players. I don't think. But maybe maybe I'm no, wrong. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's, it's just that's the biggest concern. The summer will tell tell us a lot about that. Obviously, Lester, uh, this is this is I think five straight losses, and they've got. That's it's it's looking it's looking rough for uh for Puel's men right now for Puel as well just I don't know I don't I don't I don't like the way that Leicester are playing right now I think they 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 got, they're gonna have to change something. Well, it he's probably like still what happened the, with their uh, owner kind of like derailed their season a little bit. They did have some decent results like in December. I don't think you can I don't think you can say that they they were doing well after in the like the initial weeks after the whole tragedy happened. Maybe it's just sort of a like a hangover from that. It's it's hard to really know because there's obviously very few instances of something like this happening and very few sort of like case studies to take a look at and reference to. I, I think it, I think it's just the January uh, period of just being so busy. They went out in the FA Cup. We've talked about in uh, a previous pod to Newport County, and I, while I didn't watch that game, you know it, it happens to a lot of mid-table Premier League sides, or at least one or two every single year. Don't take the cup as seriously as they as they should, perhaps, and find themselves going out at an, an early stage, and and that can weigh on a team uh, overall for the rest of the season. When you when you lose a game like that, it really gives you a knock Sorry, on your they've confidence. Lost, they've lost four out of their last five games, not five straight. But yeah, no, that, I mean they had that one nil. Uh, your point, your point is taken. Regardless, they're not in yeah. a good vein of form right now, and you can say that for a couple of uh, mid table teams that we'll uh, probably get to uh, a little bit later. Everton, most uh, notably. But uh, yeah, there seems to be that mid-season lull hitting all of these uh, best-of-the-rest pack of teams. But let's move on to, real quickly, Bournemouth beat West Ham 2-0. Goals from Callum Wilson and Josh King. And then Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 4-3 Saturday afternoon. Andrus Townsend scored in the 34th minute. Beautiful goal, uh, building out from the back. Before goals from Mohamed Salah and Roberto Firmino made it 2-1 to, to Liverpool. James Tompkins scored in the 65th minute. To make it a bit nervy until Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane wrapped up the points in the 75th and 93rd minute, capped off by a Max Meyer goal to make it a little bit more of a uh, 
intense scoreline. But it was a really intense game. Palace uh, actually had one more chance after that, so it actually was pretty intense. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, it was, you mean the chance after the third goal they scored? Yes. Yeah, what? okay. Well, for some reason, that evades my mind. But yeah, it was a very, very close game. And probably the kind of game that Liverpool don't want to see replicated anytime soon. I'm sure Liverpool, uh, or Jurgen Klopp specifically, will be thinking to himself, these wide-open games... Uh, with goals going in at both ends and us having to score four, that's not going to be the formula that they need to win the league. Now it's time to shut up shop, play well defensively, and rely on your obviously very talented attackers to get two or three goals and have that be what gets you through. So obviously it's great that they got the points. As soon as I saw Julian Speroni was in goal for Crystal Palace or that he would be starting, I think it was a day announced a day or two before, I captained Mohamed Salah in my fantasy league, knowing like he's going to score at least twice and Spironi's going to mess up at least twice. And I think arguably we got two pretty big Spironi errors. The first goal, well, both of Salah's goals, but the first goal where Van Dijk's shot gets blocked and it gets looped up into the air and Salah gets to it first. Any other Premier League, like average Premier League goalkeeper, I think comes rushing off of his line and clears that with a punch. And then the second goal that Salah scored. Uh, the one that put Palace ahead uh, or put Liverpool ahead 3 2. You can go watch it. There's no excuse for that. Spironi co- uh, comes for a cross from, I think, that was, Milner. That was and he so bats tragic. It, and he bats so it basically bad. into his own goal, and Salah is able to tap it in, but it was going in anyway. It's, it, it's, the, kind of, it's the kind of errors that you get used to with someone like Spironi. He's 39 years old. He hasn't started a game since December 2017. Uh, he's, he's all kinds of rusty, and you're playing him at Anfield in one of the biggest games of the season. And, he, and he, it, it basically ruined a really good offensive showing by Palace because I, th- I thought Palace were excellent throughout. Did you see like the full build-up to that first goal, the Andros Townsend one, where Liverpool were pressing yeah, them no, really no, high up the field? They were really good. I mean, Palace were really impressive. They've been good in... in they haven't been as good as Wolves, but if there's another team you know, outside of the, the top six that you can pick out has been decent, has put up good fights against the top six, it's been you know Crystal Palace. So... They've gotten you know results here and there, and they always put. They're always hard to beat. Hodgson has made them you know defensively. You can tell that they're extremely well drilled, and Aaron Wambasaka, that guy is awesome. I mean, yeah. he is so good. Can we officially call Mohamed Salah a diver? Oh, absolutely. I think we can. I'm there. You know, there, I was. There was a uh, there was a quote that I saw from from Mark Clattenburg today where he just. He just blatantly like they like made him review like basically like three or four of those Sala incidents that people call dives and he was like yeah all of those are dives and I would have not called any of them and basically just saying like you know he's th- that that he would he understands like Sala has the reputation to to try and dive because he knows he's going to take the penalties and you know he wants to win golden boot and that the guy it's always like his shoulders too. It's always like the way that he falls. Yeah, it's and it's like, always a couple seconds after the initial contact is made. That I mean, that's how you know. I mean, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big proponent of, and I've said it before in this podcast that you do need to go down in the penalty area if you're going to win a penalty. And there's a real fine line. Like I accept that there's a really fine line between being a diver and taking advantage of an actual foul that's happened. It's just been too many times for me that I've seen Salah take uh, take contact from a defender and go ahead and use his strength and score. And conversely, 
take contact from a defender more recently and anticipate that contact and go down. You know, it's just like one of those things you can't really have it both ways, man. Like, come on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm officially there with Salah. He's uh, he's a diver. I think ref should watch out for him because uh, he's going to be looking to win those throughout the rest of the season as these games become uh, much more uh, important and, and, and intense uh, in the run, run into the season. Let's move on to United. They beat Brighton at home 2-1 on Saturday. Andrew and I both got this score prediction correct. Paul Pogba opened the scoring in the 27th minute with a penalty. Marcus Rashford then made it 2-0 in the 42nd minute with a beautiful solo goal. And Pascal Gross scored in the 72nd minute to make it a little interesting for the last 15-20 uh, minutes. Did you get a chance to watch this one? That We were both watching the Liverpool game together. We were kind of eyes off on this one. We thought we thought uh, United-Brighton was going to be the like exciting end-to-end game because the whole first half, it seemed like that Liverpool Palace game was just kind of a dud, like each team waiting for the, the other one to make the move. But that one obviously turned out to be the more exciting. Um, I'm guessing you have plenty of thoughts on either Marcus Rashford or Paul Pogba's performance in this game. Yeah, I was going to talk about Rashford. I thought he was just absolutely fantastic again. And he's on a run, I think, of now four games with, uh, with goals and five in his last six games he scored. So he's he's having you know he's having an, an awesome time of it, and I think this just shows that Jose Mourinho definitely was stunting him. Like you haven't seen him play like this in three years, basically. Because like I would argue ever. times, yeah, there was times where like he, no, there, that's not true. I thought the first season that he was played when he was being played at center forward when United had that like crisis under Van Gaal. He looked at center forward like he was a, a fantastic player and could, you know, could absolutely be lethal in the future there. And he didn't look this I, good, though. I agree with you. But he I didn't, don't think but he, he, was, he, he looked didn't way look more raw. Right. right. He obviously looked way more raw. But I just think that it, it proves that, like, a player like this just needs a bit more uh, of, crea- you know, a creative spark to be in their coach and a little bit more freedom. And. They can do wonders, and I was always really scared that if this player ever became that what I thought he could be, that we could have problems. Like the league could have problems, and yeah, I just think that this United United are back. They're definitely back. There's nothing we can say about it, and they're going to be threatening for top four till the end of the season. Now, I mean, going off the Rashford thing, I just want to piggyback it by saying. Everyone's been talking about how uh, the relationship between whoever the United manager is and Paul Pogba needs to be a good one, and that Paul Pogba needs to be freed up to go forward and attack and be the creative force that we know he can be. But I think there's an argument to be made that uh, the most improved award from Mourinho to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is kind of a toss-up between Pogba and Rashford. Rashford's been statistically just as good, if not better. Uh, I mean, I think you have to give it to Pogba purely because people actually thought that one of the best players under Mourinho was Rashford. People were saying like, oh, well, you know, one of the players that still was like effective under Mourinho was Rashford, like on the wing. It's like, he's a good enough player where Not he's still effective though. on the wing, but like he needs to be starting at center forward, like by himself, like a Harry Kane. And I'm sorry, Romelu Lukaku, but this kid is way better than you. Right, is Lukaku ever getting back in the in the team? Is, I mean, he's he's great off the bench. Is he going to be mean, going would, in the summer? 
I mean, I mean, he's not going to be content I, to I'm, sit on the bench. I mean, there was there was a lot of strong rumors that he was looking to go to Juventus and, you know, be 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 next to Ronaldo or on the bench, betting behind. That was Ronaldo. mostly that was no mostly idea. when Mourinho was manager, though. I do remember those rumors, and that was kind of like it, it was all the same rumors at the same time that like the Pogba to Barcelona rumors were coming out. You know, and, they, and they've quashed those. I thought again, Brighton. Um, you know, even though they they went, did go down two 0 they won the second half. You know, they got a goal and they made it nervy for United. And again, they showed that they belong in this league. That you know they're not going to get blown away away from home against these big teams most of the time. And yeah, yeah, we, we just, know that little, about them. A little, a little no, yeah, just, just props to them again that they were you know defensively good again, even though they lost two one. They still made it hard for United, and I think. For United, they just need to they just need to keep keep the magic going, you know, keep integrating, you know, players like Alexis and Lukaku into the team slowly. You know, don't change too much of the magic formula, but I think they can get better. They can get better and better and better and I'm scared, you know. I'm scared that they they could be the team going into top 4, you know. They they definitely could. The way that Arsenal and Chelsea have been and Tottenham, you know, none of us are safe right now. Tottenham have uh, Ali's out till March. So Tottenham are going to struggle, Arsenal are going to struggle, Chelsea are going to struggle these next few months. We're all going to drop points. So if United keep up a good form, then they absolutely could could be in and around the top four come the end of the season, which would be a fantastic achievement for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think at that point, you have to keep him. If he makes top four, I'm of the opinion you got to keep him. I know Alex and I, we've talked about this a lot, and you think that there's no way you ever keep your caretaker manager. It's a huge mistake. And I would see that most of the time I agree with that. But if you can't find someone like a Zidane or an Antonio Conte to coach the team, then then I say go with go with Solskjaer. But okay, so if they get if, not, if they get then, top then, four, if they get top four, and by some miracle they beat PSG, I guess not miracle. Stranger things have happened. But you know, if they beat PSG, get through the next round of the Champions League. Uh, show promise on not only the Premier League side but the European side of their their competitions. Then I will understand if United and United's fans are all calling for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to continue as the permanent manager. What I'll stand by though is that it's not going to work going forward after this season with a full preseason and the chance to instill his complete image on the team and be everything that they need, not only just the nice guy uh, rebound chick that we talked about right after Mourinho was sacked and Solskjaer was brought in. I feel in. like he's definitely past that that point now. Well, he's, like he's had the chance to be the nice guy, but you know what happens when he doesn't get a good performance out of his team and he has to come down on them? We haven't seen that yet, and uh, that, that's going to be an interesting development. You, you can't just make assumptions after seven games, all of them wins, and only really one of them being super impressive that this guy's automatically going to be the guy that can save uh, financially the biggest club in the world. So that's where I'm uh, I'm skeptical. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. A lot of it comes from my experience with Roberto Di Matteo uh, getting the job at Chelsea yeah, after winning think, the Champions I think, League. I think you've been scarred by your experience face. at Chelsea. But most of the time, you know, the coach that you don't think is going to work is the one that ends up working out. So I, I'm optimistic for United with their current situation. Just thinking of like how badly and how how deeply in a hole they were when he took over, you you would have never thought that this was possible at all. You possible, not probable, but sure. 
Um, let's move on to uh, the rest of the Saturday games. Newcastle won 3-0 over Cardiff City. Goals from Fabian Schar in the 24th and 63rd minute before Jose Perez scored in the 93rd. Beautiful Some sad goal news. from Schar. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the game as much, but I'm going to talk about the uh, disturbing news coming from Cardiff this morning that new signing Emiliano Salas' flight went missing, flying from uh, his former club Nantes to uh, Cardiff. Uh, the flight still has not been found. I've been checking Guernsey Police Twitter updates all day, and they've been tweeting their progress, saying they haven't found anything and searched th- uh, like a thousand miles of coastline. It's not looking good, so uh, thoughts and prayers out to, obviously, the Cardiff community. And it's the second uh, aircraft disaster or potential aircraft disaster that we've had in the Premier League this season. It's not great to see uh, in in any walk of life or any sport. So um, we'll move on to the Southampton 2-1 win over Everton. I got this score prediction right. James Ward-Prowse opened the scoring in the 50th minute. Then Southampton made it 2-0 through a Lucas Dinier own goal in the 64th minute before Gilfie Sigurdsson made it tight in the 91st minute. Watford then got a 0-0 draw with Burnley, and Arsenal beat Chelsea 2-0. Alexander Lacazette scored in the 14th minute. Lauren Koscielny scored in the 39th minute. Let's focus on the winners real quick, you guys, because we obviously need to give Arsenal their due before uh, we discuss the shit show that was Chelsea in that game. What, what particularly from Arsenal impressed you in this game? I, I did say before obviously, this game that you guys were the, a rat the, backed the, into a corner yeah, and this I've was going to happen. I've got two things that impressed me the most. Number one, this was the first time we, we had a 2-0 lead at halftime this entire season. It's impressive that we did it against Chelsea. Of course we had to be the ones. And number two, this is our first clean sheet in I don't remember when. You know, it's been a long, long, long time since we've kept a clean sheet. So that was the other thing that I'm very happy about, especially the way that our backline played, because I don't really think we gave you guys many, many good chances. So I think that's one of the first times this season where we kept a, a good defensive game the entire game. You know, there was no like 10 or 15 minute period where Chelsea had a bunch of chances and Leno Leno didn't make any saves. Which is well, he had to make one. We had one shot on goal. I think it was like right at him. I don't like he just picked it up and threw it. So there was no. He didn't actually have to make any saves where like he tipped it like over the bar or anything or like on the post or anything. There was one shot from Alonso that hit the post that he. Well, we had one shot on goal and thirteen shots total, and the Alonso one on the post would have been not a shot on goal. So Leno would have had to make a save at some point. I just don't remember it either. So. It was, it, was, Eden, well, it was Eden Hazard. He didn't have to he do much. Right at him. He didn't have to do much. I get but, it. Yeah, but, but just, but, but uh, yeah, those were the things I thought were impressive. And I thought Lacazette was very impressive, even though he continually gets taken off by Emery in the 60th minute. And, you know, it looks like he should be kept on longer because he's almost always our best player or playing really well, you know, to, to come into this game and, and play like he did. I'm really impressed with him and I'm, I'm really happy with his progress and how he's you know, been doing this season. And I thought Aubameyang played well, even though he didn't score. I thought he was a handful for Chelsea and, you know, he had good work rate. And yeah, I thought that the midfield as well, all of them were very, very solid. Guendouzi, Torreira, Ramsey, and Xhaka all played decently. Uh, Xhaka had one or two errors that, you know, led to some Chelsea half chances, but thankfully we had no Mustafi in. And that's what basically led us to not committing any absolutely atrocious errors so 
yeah, I was I was definitely happy with with the lineup before when I saw the lineup before the game. I was quite excited because it was the first time that I was like, wow, no Mustafi, and we're playing like a packed midfield with you know a lot of support for a player like Shaka and for someone like Ramsey to get forward. And yeah, I thought I thought we did well. I thought freezing out Ozil that was another thing that I loved because I you know I don't like Mesut Ozil and I thought that you know having having a having someone like him basically just sit on the bench to see you know we don't need you to win you know if you're not going to come out here and give your 100% every game these are the players who are going to do it right these are the players who every single week they're not getting paid 320,000 pounds a week like you they're getting paid 60 or 80,000 pounds a week but they're giving everything for arsenal they're trying their their butts off and that's why they're playing every game so hopefully he can contribute from now on. But I think it's going to be a, like a great lesson for, for the board to see, number one, we don't need Ozil. And for Ozil to see, look, we don't need you. Like, we can win a big game like this without you. And, you know, you get you better get your shit to better, bud, because we're trying to get you out the door right now. So, I mean, the most damning thing about this game for Ozil is that a player who's most, like, almost 100% certain to leave next summer... Aaron Ramsey was the player who basically played in the position. Played that over him. That's so Mar- damning. Ozil over the, over the highest paid player in that position. And Aunt Ramsey was given the the biggest job, arguably, of uh, trying to man mark and being as close and shading near to Jorginho as much as possible when Chelsea tried to build up. Arsenal really, really pressed Chelsea very high up, very early on. It was eerily similar to the Tottenham away game this year, uh, earlier this season, that Chelsea lost 3-1. Where that first like 15, 20 minutes, Chelsea were you know doing the usual thing, trying to take control of the game through uh, possession, uh, doing like an okay job here and there. But Ar- Arsenal overall, just the, the pressing of Jorginho, the reasons I basically have come to realize that we weren't able to like consistently break out and kind of overcome that. Uh, where we've been able to in other games, maybe against lesser opposition this year, like that wasn't an issue against Man City at all, and they definitely tried to press him, is basically this cascading set of effects from uh, Eden Hazard playing as the false nine. It's clearly not working. And when it does work, it works in short spurts in games that are a bit more open than uh, this one proved to be. Definitely gone back and forth about this, working and not. I feel like sometimes you're like, oh, Eden Hazard, he can be amazing there. He could score 30 goals. Sorry, said so. And then now you're back to it doesn't work. I I just think maybe he doesn't have the appropriate creative tools and he's not getting the ball enough. Okay, so he he doesn't have the appropriate creative tools. I mean, we we no, know that's has, not right. His Ingolo Conte creating his chances for him, like oh, you're saying the players get a around real him. creative player to do that. No, I mean for Eden him. Hazard. Get George, get a player better than Jorginho in there, oh, dude. You're, and, you're, you're knocking Golo on a bunch of doors, position. so we don't have time to go down right now. But but mainly Eden Hazard playing as a central striker, you can tell that he doesn't like it. He's kind of begrudgingly doing it, even in the games that he's performed well in the like the Watford and Brighton away games where he scored. Uh, one or, once or twice in each game, he, he was mainly scoring off the counterattacks from chances created from pressing high and winning the ball uh, back from lesser teams when they were trying to basically build up possession against us. That hasn't been the case in each of Chelsea's uh, last two most high-profile games with Eden Hazard playing as the, the false nine. Arsenal and Tottenham away in the League Cup, where both games we've had the majority of the possession. It's been kind of meaningless possession. We've created very little in terms of 
chances. And you can see time after time, and specifically in this Arsenal game, you can tell Eden's just kind of sick of it. He keeps drifting out wide, leaving the middle of the box completely open. Or he would come back to like midfield to pick the ball. Because he had to. He's yeah, you he's, could tell that, he's he that kind of player where he's drawn to wherever, wherever the ball is and wherever space is. It almost feels like he's a Lexus for Arsenal during his last season where every single game, like, he just had to kind of drag Arsenal through the mud. Obviously, you guys aren't, like, Chelsea isn't at that point where, like, he's dragging you guys through the mud, but it does feel like he's dragging you on a little bit. So what I want to get back to real quick about the relation of Hazard playing at center forward to the lack of good performances from mainly Jorginho and uh, other players in the back line is that normally the default when we have been pressed and pressed well, specifically on Jorginho, has been to have Hazard or one of the two other midfielders drop in, receive the ball, combine with someone, and then get up the wings. With Hazard playing centrally and trying to find little spaces he can like get in behind, he's not he's not out on that left wing dropping deep from the left, allowing Alonso to overlap for him. And he's not around other players. There's hardly any times where he's playing as that central striker role where he's able to combine with another forward when, when the ball gets played to him at feet. There's just no opportunities for it. I think there are a lot of issues with this Chelsea squad that not, I don't think we necessarily would have won had uh, Gonzalo Higuain been like confirmed and been playing in that game. But I think you'll see as Higuain is confirmed and comes into the lineup – more so for the games against lesser teams, everything's just going to fall into place. Right now, we have a few too many square pegs and round holes, and I'm not including Kante in his fit midfield position. I think he's completely fine there. I think mainly I'm, I'm talking about uh, Kovacic as the most attacking of the midfield three and Hazard playing as the third, the central striker. Those are two players that they're not really uh, they're not really equipped for those roles. We're getting zero goal uh, production outside of Conte's three goals from midfield this season and uh, Loftus Cheek's six goals from midfield this season, and Loftus Cheek's injured. Do right you think now. it's a little bit worrying that Jorginho has zero assists? Yeah. He doesn't really make tackles. He doesn't really press. He doesn't really create dangerous opportunities for Chelsea. He's I mean, that's great just outright wrong. He's fantastic. That's just absolutely fan- outright wrong. He doesn't create opportunities or chances for Chelsea. No, not that many. No, no. It's not, I'm, he does. He does. He has he the tries. most forward he's, passes he's obviously- in the attacking third of any player this season in the Premier League. I don't <laughs> believe that. <laughs> we'll pull it up. We'll pull it up at some point. Listen, uh, you and I have talked about this in private. There are bigger issues with the system, and I think there's a fair shout to say that the lack of like forward movement from uh, any of the front three right now is uh, kind of challenging him to really like consistently make those passes against like packed defensive teams. And I think also the physicality, and there is like a fair bit of a, a learning curve to coming from Italy and then playing in the Premier League. I, I, I think he's te- definitely suffered a downturn in form. But it's something that I think he's a smart enough player to figure out, and Sari is a smart enough coach to figure out himself. So I don't think it's like the system is broken. Sari can never salvage it. I, I'm still like a believer. I don't think there's. I don't understand the Chelsea fans calling for Sari to be sacked, and that they're sick of us holding the ball for. What do we have? We had 64 percent of possession in this game, and we did basically nothing with it. You know, so I, I, I'm not. I'm not with those fans. But things this need to be figured out. the first time that it was uh, Chelsea have the ball and Arsenal get the goals. 
What about what about the so FA Cup the final from a couple years ago? That was pretty even possession, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, I just remember from us going down and early in that game, we had to have the possession and try and get back into it. But all right. Yeah, I would rather never go through that again. I'm sure we will because Chelsea seem to be a Jekyll and Hyde team ourselves now. But good result for Arsenal. They're back to three points below Chelsea. They're level on points with United still. If you had to bet right now between two of Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham and United getting into the top four, who would you bet? It's obviously still a bit too early. I know, that's why I'm asking. I would say, because of what's recently happened to Tottenham, I would say Arsenal and Chelsea. Not United. Actually, 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 no, I take that back. I would say Arsenal and Manchester I think it's going to be Chelsea and United. I think Chelsea are not going to make it with this Iguain signing. And yeah, I just don't think it's going to be enough for them to make top four. We'll see. I might be wrong, but... I think they've kind of been figured out this year, and I think it's going to be a much harder second half of the year for them than for Arsenal or United. Huddersfield hosted Manchester City Sunday morning. Manchester City came out 3-0 winners. Goals from Danilo in the 18th minute, Raheem Sterling in the 54th minute, and Leroy Sané in the 56th minute. Gave Manchester City the points in this one. Uh, Huddersfield, since our last podcast, announced that their uh, new permanent manager will be uh, Jan Sievert, the U23 manager from Borussia Dortmund a uh, position previously held by one David Wagner. So Huddersfield going back to the well to uh, get another young German talent and uh, try and help get them out of uh, relegation and stay in the Premier League this year. Uh, I don't really know too much about him other than that. Uh, What I do know is that Huddersfield still struggles to score goals and none of that changed on Sunday against Manchester City. The the three goals that City scored, I I can't talk about the game overall, but the three goals they scored, uh, the, the second and third namely, were just just peak Man City, you know. Like, do you do you remember the second one, uh, Sterling's header that Sane blasted across, uh, and Sterling came in at the back post and scored. I'll be honest, I didn't even watch the well, highlights I'll, for this game. I'll, I'll I just lay it out there for you. I just I thought it was just must have been super cut and dry, just the way that the scoreline came no, I mean, out. It so. just makes me more and more confident that City are back to being City and that they're going to end up winning the league. Just the interchange of positions yeah, was, it, it was, uh, I know Huddersfield are Huddersfield, but they're so, like, City are so smooth with how, namely, Silva, Sané, Sterling, like, they're creative players. And they still don't have De Bruyne and Aguero, like, right. fully back in the team. Aguero, Aguero played again, okay. So. Uh, he had the assist for Sané's goal. Um, a nice little headed down uh, pass to Sané to finish off. Uh, but just the interchanging of positions from those like forward creative players, like I know we've seen it before and it's ridiculous, but it was just like go, go watch Sterling's goal <laughs> and see what I mean because like Sterling literally starts on the left wing, plays a couple of build up passes with Sane and Silva, and then makes his way over to the back post on the right wing and goes in and head nods in like an absolutely driven blazing ball put across the goal by Sane uh, to make it two nil and basically wrap it up. Uh, So, uh, City, obviously keep rolling. Let's go to the Fulham-Tottenham game later on Sunday. Fulham lost 2-1 to Tottenham from a last gasp winner. Damn it, Fulham. You had one job. (laughs) One job, Javier had predicted 1-1, and at the last minute, Harry Rinks comes Uh, in and scores and gives me the uh, correct prediction. But uh, it didn't really mean much because Andrew ended up getting three anyway. Yeah. Fernando Llorente opened the scoring, uh, but for the wrong team, into the 17th minute, scoring an own goal that put Fulham up 1-0, before Deli Alley in the 51st minute, and as I mentioned, Harry Winks in the 93rd minute, gave Tottenham the points. 
I'm just going to start this by saying this was a game that Tottenham had no business winning, and I mean no business winning. We've talked about Kane's out injured, Son's gone. They did score all three goals. <laughs> they did score all three goals. We can give them that. It was an ugly game. I think we expected it to be an ugly game. Ryan Bobble played pretty well on his debut, but probably could have scored at least two goals. Like One of them was a one-on-one early in the game that... Loris just saved. He really should have scored that one-on-one. I I thought he was going to do it. I was all excited for him. <laughs> and then He looks uh, exciting. Like so disappointed. Especially uh the one that I thought was 100%. He's definitely come back a better player than oh, like, yeah. when he but first we knew came that, to like when he signed. They like he was automatically a better player from when he first signed for Liverpool 10 years ago. But the the ball he put into the box for Sherla to hit first time uh, it was called offside when Mitrovic put it, put the rebound back in, and that would have made it 2-0, but the ball that Babel put in to Sherla was just like, it was a peach. It was beautiful. And I was just thinking, like, are Fulham, are Fulham rolling? Like, are, can Fulham, like, score goals now? But alas, they can't. They still have to figure that side of it out. Um, but again, still promising. I'm going to talk about Harry Winks. Did he impress you as much as he impressed me? I, I've, I've kind of been like a closet fan of his for the last like two years. I'll admit, I've never been a huge fan of his. I've always thought that he's kind of been one of Pochettino's pets, but you know, I was wrong. I'm not going to say I was completely wrong with Sissoko because I'm, I guarantee if Sissoko goes under any other manager bro Pochettino, he's going to look absolutely dreadful again. But somehow Pochettino got Sissoko to looking like a good player and someone who could play on a on a top six side. Maybe not someone who can play on like a on a league winning side or a side that wins any trophies, but still a decent player. And it seems like this kid, Winks, who he has a lot of faith in, you know, he's instilling some of those same qualities into him and, and the kid's got, you know, skill for days and, and, and vision as well. And yeah, he's really impressive for 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 the amount of responsibility he's being given at Tottenham, which is now like the the guy who runs the midfield for them along with Ericsson. And so. now he's basically shielding the back line as well as having to sort of combine with Ericsson in midfield. Yeah, that's scary that he's like, he's the one who has to do that now because Dembele is off to China. Um, where's Wanyama? Wanyama's injured. Yeah, if you want to know the back, answer to so. where is player X for Tottenham, the answer is most likely injured. Uh, they've had a real rough time of injuries this year and it's impressive that they're still third in the league and, and, and winning these games that, like I said, a lot of them, you think in other years, Tottenham would not have won that or it would have ended a draw or they would have lost and it would have been harsh. But credit to them, they uh, they keep on uh, pushing through and they get the winner here from, uh, I want to give a shout out to George Kevin and Kudu. I haven't heard from George Kevin and Kudu since I think Tottenham signed him from Marseille two years ago. And he comes on with 10 minutes to go, plays in the ball to Winks. Yes, Rico could have come out and claimed it, but you know you still have to put the ball into a dangerous area to score a goal like that and hope that def- the defense messes up. Uh, yeah, it was, there was some impressive performances from uh, players uh, in Tottenham's lineup that we're, we're not really used to seeing those. Uh, you, you mentioned it a, a little bit earlier in the pod, but Deli Ali went down with a hamstring injury uh, midway through this one after scoring the goal that got them back into it. I, I think with these compounding injuries, Ali, Kane... Wanyama, the uh, Son missing for the uh, Asia Games or Asia Cup. This is where it starts to get dangerous for them. Like, I know they got this result and they have fairly 
like a fairly good looking fixture list going forward. But like how many how many of your first team players and first team regulars can you lose before that actually starts to affect results? Like I understand Tottenham are getting good results right now, but by the injury list, I would be more concerned for them than I would Chelsea right now. And they're four points ahead of us. I think the one thing they have going for them is that like they still have like I think nine home games left this season, something like that. So they still have a ridiculous amount of games left. Well, their at next home. three are at home, I think, or their three of their next yeah. four are at home so, in the Premier League. So we'll see. If and this this stretch of games they have right now is their easiest of this of like the rest of the season. So if there's a time to have all these players out, it's right now for them. Where like they could just squeak by and get wins in these games with, you know, with a, with a little bit with not not nearly a, their full full strength. So. Lucky Tottenham that these injuries are happening now and not in the business end of the season. But we're starting to get. I don't into think it they'll now, feel that so lucky when they, they need face those players back next soon. month without those players. <laughs> well, uh, they might have some of them back. Yeah, so they we'll always see. seem to overestimate how long it's going to take for their players to come back, or at least their like official medical department does. But yeah, that wraps it up for all of the uh, recaps for this week. Uh, just to run down the score prediction table real quick, Andrew went ahead with uh, getting a point this week with three correct picks. He's on 12, and Javier and I are tied on second with 11 points. So, Javier, when was the last time you won a week? I feel like you've been sitting on 11 for a couple of weeks now. A couple months now? I just wanted, you know, I just wanted to let you guys get You're back right. into yeah, it. Yeah. I felt bad for you guys. You know, it's like, it was, it's like fantasy, too, you know? I, I felt bad for you, Alex. So you decided you to trail me by 60 points. Below me. Yeah, you know, I just decided to let you get Make it interesting. by like 45 points. It's 45. 45, okay, Not to be exact. 60. Well, I mean, it was it, yeah. was, it was at 60 uh, at one there. point. Calm yeah. down. So you, you wanted to make it interesting. You wanted to go down by 60 and then come back. Yeah, I just wanted, you know, I wanted you to feel good about yourself, think that well, you're actually good. Javier, I feel great. We'll see where we are at the end of the myself. season. Um, but that wraps it up for us here at the Ghost Call Podcast. We'll have no preview this uh, later this week because there are no Premier League games coming up this weekend, just FA Cup. But the Premier League is going to be back uh, midweek next week, so we'll record something sometime over the weekend and get it out there uh, to preview those games. Make sure to follow us on social media, at Andrew Bissarro, at ASMoss92 for myself on Twitter and Instagram, at Ghost Call Pod on Twitter and Instagram and at JavierRev9 for Javier on Instagram. Go subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps uh, give us visibility to new listeners. And until next time, farewell.